Amen. Amen. Um, today, in this time, back in 1 Corinthians, I'd like to talk from the subject, growing up through building uh, up others. Growing up through building up others. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for uh, the church, and we thank you that the church is your um, great work to change the world. And one of the things that's very, very important um, as there, there, there can be no true church growth without um, your people committing to building up others. They have to commit to that. We have to commit to that. And so I pray that you would give us clarity for that. I thank you in advance for those who already are um, in the mix of being change agents in the body. Um, I thank you so much for those who serve tirelessly and um, have given their heart and their desire to saying, yo, I want to be a part of the solution of uh, strengthening the church to be all that God wants it to be. But then today, God, um, in this time of beginning a new year, it's good to have a, ha just us landing on this um, today, um, Lord, because now many times we enter a new year looking at what we can receive. And so, God, I'm praying today that you would help us to be transformed, to see things in light of the gospel. And in seeing things in light of the gospel, seeing how we can be givers and servants and builders of your kingdom through building up brothers and sisters through biblical relationships through one another. And in order for this to be received, because sometimes these can be tough messages, God, will you open our hearts to you, God? And see it in light of not legalism and brutality, God, but see it through your spirit as a grace that you've given us that we should lovingly enter into this. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our God and our strength and our redeemer in whom we put all of our trust and help us not to just be hearers in particular this message of the word only, but doers of the word so that we won't deceive ourselves. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So the hospitality can guide people to their seats because there's still people coming in and they're going to the balcony. If you got a seat beside you, can you just slip your hand in the air, please? So the hospitality can see. We got a lot of seats down here. And so we can stop funneling people to the balcony. I want to make sure we always fill up this floor um, and then let people up in the balcony. Amen. 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 Um, growing up through building others up. Um, this is, this, is, this, is, this is very, very important for us to recognize, especially in a passage like this. And so I got a story I want to read that I grabbed a hold of, a story of the service of Henry Martyr. Henry Martyr had already done more than his share of missionary service in India when he announced he was going to Persia. Doctors had told him that the heat would kill him if he stayed in India, and the heat in Persia was worse Martyr arrived, studied the Persian language, and translated the New Testament and Psalms in an amazing nine months. Did you hear that? Nine months. But then was told he must have the Shah's permission to circulate it. Martyr traveled 600 miles to uh, Tehran only to be denied permission to see the Shah. He then turned around and made a 400-mile trip to Britain, to the, to the British ambassador who gave his credentials and said, this is all I can do. You will have to have, get permission yourself. Barely able to stand. Now, this ain't, in our, this ain't in our days, you know what I'm saying? Barely able to stand, Martyr rode at night on the back of a mule and rested in the, night, in the daytime, 
protected only by a strip of canvas from the sweltering heat. He was received by the Shah who gave permission for the scriptures in Persian to be circulated. Ten days later in 1812, he died in Turkey. Shortly before he had written in his diary, I sat and thought with sweat, comfort, and peace from God in solitude, my companion, my friend, and comforter. You see in a powerful story like that, um, Henry Martyr as a missionary um, in uh, the Middle East <coughs> saw and wanted to commit himself to the gospel mission uh, 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 at the expense of his life uh, to make sure that the truth of God's word got out so that there would be churches that come into existence. Ch uh, uh, um, um, churches that come into existence and so that people, once they got into those churches, had what was needed in order um, to move forward in the power of God to know what they were supposed to do to serve one another and to serve um, in engaging this city and their community um, with the reality of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And servants like that can go on and on and on where there are servants. What I found in the body is that there are few sacrificial servants, but there are a lot of those who want their hands open. Okay, and, 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 and what happens in that culture is you have a few who view themselves more than just receivers from the church. In other words, being a receiver from the church only uh, uh, let, let, lets them know that, that, that they're not getting out of the church what they're supposed to get out because the kingdom principle is you give and when you give, reception happens in the midst of that giving. And one of the most important things that we have to wrestle with as a gathering of the saints is what are we here for? Uh, are you here only for what you can receive and for things to be built around your personal preferences and your personal desires? Or are you here um, um, to, to give to God's mission? Are you here to build other believers up or are you only here to assess how well you're being built up? Um, when, when, when I look at the Bible, there is this, there is this command and this sense in which <coughs> the Bible implores us to do these things. One of the things that Jesus said in John 15 is he measures your love for him based on how you sacrifice to serve others. <coughs> in, other, in other words, he doesn't base it off of your complaining. Help me today, God. He doesn't base it on what you think you're getting. He based your love for him based on how you reciprocate the love that you receive from him to others in the body of Christ. Now, now if, you are, if you are not walking in serving other people in the body, you're not walking in, a, in an irrefutable love for Jesus Christ. If you only assess your being at a church or being at the local church of how much you receive from the church, you've missed what it means to be a Christian. Because Christians are supposed to both assess whether a church is healthy, but they're also supposed to assess what can they do to plug into the health of the local church. Oh, y'all not gonna talk back to me today. I know it's tight, but it's right. <laughs> and so we come to a passage that, 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 that really has gotten confusing. Because in this passage, most people walk away with how tongues are used. But when you look at the verbs and the adjectives in the passage, the passage is actually 
more about building up others than it is about tongues. Now, now we're, going to talk, we're going to get to stuff on tongues and prophecy and all of that, but that's really a footnote of what the text is because you got to remember, this text comes on the heels of thir chapter 13. And so in other words, what he's about to say in chapter 13 is going to be, an, at 14, is an application of chapter 14. 13, 13. And in, in other words, what he's saying is an exposition of what the Corinthians are going through particularly in which he's saying the theology of love looks like this in the body. In other words, if you don't serve God's people, you don't love God's people. Wow. I'm not talking about you serve some other church across town. That's why it's a local body unto itself. But I, I, I get with friends. No, 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 no. He's talking about the people that you're around in the local body that you covenant to be around. Which brings me to my first and only point for the day. In growing up through building up others, number one and only point, grown up Christians. Somebody say grown up Christians. Grown up Christians rig their lives to lovingly build up others. Grown up Christians rig their lives to lovingly, somebody say lovingly, lovingly build up others. And so um, we look at this passage and we see in verse one, it says, pursue love. Um, this is powerful. This phrase influences the entire chapter because pursuing love is going to show you practically throughout the entirety of the chapter what it looks like to pursue love. And so what he's doing is he's, uh, remember, you got to understand that the Bible wasn't written um, with chapter divisions and verses. In other words, every book was just written as one big sentence <laughs> that connected to the other sentences in that particular book. So let's not divorce what Paul says in the latter part of uh, chapter 13, where he, where, where he says, in, in the latter part of uh, uh, chapter 13, where he talks about our commitment to pursue the greater gifts. Verse uh, 13 says, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. <laughs> and so the greatest gift that God, remember, by way of review, that God has given to the body is everybody in the church, when you are blood baptized and born again by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, you, every one of us is distributed by the Holy Spirit the gift of love. That means spiritual giftedness means that you are imputed with the innate ability to be graced to do something by the Holy Spirit. That means if someone can exhort, when they exhort, you say, God's hand is on that person. They're supposed to be doing that. And if they keep doing it for a long time, they get better. And some people, you're like, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. They probably need to go do another ministry. Amen. You know what I'm saying? But the ministry <clears throat> that we're all supposed to grow in is agape, unconditional love for God's people. Not unconditional love for the building. Not unconditional love for your department. Not unconditional love um, for, for different aspects of esoteric things within the local church. But what we're supposed to grow in biblically as a church is we are supposed to grow in our commitment ferociously to the actual people that exactly exist in the body of Christ. You, can't, you, you don't fall in love with the idea of a worship gathering. 
It, it, help me today, God. See, what can happen is, is people can come to a worship gathering and based on how it flows and how they felt, judge their love for whether they should be at a church based, and I, I understand how important that, but the worship gathering isn't the people. Your experience of worship and all of that, 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 that's all of that's important. I went here and they didn't do this for me and they didn't take it. Nobody greeted me in this way. And during, during the, 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 house, the time when they had to shake hands and stuff, they, no, 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 no. People. One of the things that I'm big on when guys are called to ministry, I remember I, got, I had a guy here, Pastor, I need to be preaching. <laughs> now, if anybody knows me, I'm the wrong one. I need to be preaching. I'm like, wow, okay, you need to be preaching. Um, I said, give me five names of believers in the church that you have a relationship with and that you've been loving on. I said, so you want to preach to people you don't love. In other words, you want to preach to them but not have a relationship with them. Help me today, God. It, it, it's, it's, it's so, and so when he's talking about this principle of pursuing love, it, 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 it's, it's not pursuing the idea of love. <laughs> Help me. This is what I want you to understand. Not the, not the idea of love. Because we can talk love languages and all of that. But if you're not pursuing people, you're not pursuing love. You can read all the books you want on how to love this person and how to love this. And, but at the end of the day, you got to get in some broke, messed up relationships and start learning what it means to pursue love with people. Because pursuing love means you're pursuing people that are hard to love. <laughs> see, see, you ain't, we, we ain't talking about, see, hold on. You, we ain't talking, we're not talking about, I love you because you make me feel like I can love you because everything's all right relationally. The Bible assumes brokenness among his people. That's why, it tell, that's why the command is pursue it, because you don't want to. Because soon as somebody make you mad, the, the last thing you want to do is to love them. <laughs> Y'all looking at me funny, ain't you? You know, the, the, the first thing usually you want to do is you want to push back from the people that you feel like you should. That's why there's a gospel. Because what if God looked at us the way we look at each other? What if, what, if, what if God took every one of our faults and held them against us and then applied his affections toward us based on how he feels about how sinful we are? That's why I'm glad my Bible, that's why I quoted a lot. And God demonstrates his own love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> so pursuing love looks at how messed up a person is and moves towards them. Let, let, let's, apply, let's apply it a little more clear. The, the, pursuing love looks like looking at a messed up church and pursuing to love it. See, see most people want to find the perfect church so they can love it. But that's, and listen, in other words, and then when the imperfection show itself, I'm not going to love it anymore. That shows you that there was no love in the first place. <laughs> love is always tested when you feel like hating somebody. Yeah, when you feel like punching somebody's front teeth out. <laughs> I'm just being real practical. That's when, and you can still say, say, joker down, kingdom up. You got to do that. 
You got to say hellacious thoughts down, Holy Ghost up. You got to, you know, you got to help me, God. And you got to shake it. Because as a pastor, if I based my love of the congregation based on how I felt sometimes, oh, y'all, can I be real? I would have, listen, I, we would have packed our bags. That's why she's looking at me. She's shaking her head. She know. But God gives all of us, not just the pastor, all of us a super, now, now, now I'm not saying let the church abuse you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about normal brokenness that happens because you're around broken people in need of the gospel. <laughs> That's not, I'm, so I'm not talking about spiritual abuse and all of that type. Of, I'm not talking about staying in an abusive church relationship. But I am talking about when you come up against hardship, don't run. So pursue love. He says, and earnestly desire. This word means zeal. The same idea used of Jesus when he went into the temple. And when he went into the temple, and he just, he, put, he poured out a whip. And it, see, people don't like that Jesus. See, people, people like the Jesus that, you know, long flowing hair and walks along and his, the wind is blowing and you know what I'm saying? And, and he blows kisses at people. <laughs> That's the Jesus people like. People don't like the Jesus that came in sweaty, hadn't washed in three days because he'd been doing ministry, just got off a mountain praying. His knees, kneecaps are, are like this from being on his knees. And he comes in the temple and kicking over tables and smacking stuff all over the place. And, and what, did, what did the disciples, the Bible says the disciples remembered the verse where it says the zeal for the Lord consumed him. What did it consume him about? Wanting God's house to properly function like it's supposed to function. In other words, if you want to see Jesus mad, stop acting like he wants you to function. And guess what? His act of doing that was not an act of hatred. It's an act of love. And so earnestly desire spiritual gifts. <laughs> so, that, so that means he wants us, God wants us to want to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And, and, and he wants them to be desired for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And he's about to lay those out. I remember, I remember when I first trusted Christ, man, I was, I, I mean, I still have a lot of that that's a part of me. I was in a hyper-charismatic environment. And I wanted every spiritual gift. When I saw somebody use a spiritual gift, I was like, I want that. I want to be able to heal somebody. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I ain't want it for the right reasons. I wanted to be able to say, man, the Lord, I wanted people to, perceived that I had a deep relationship with God based on how much I was used supernaturally. Okay. And so I'm like, man, if I could just prophesy, I'm going to just pray for prophecy because what I wanted to do is I wanted to know, and I wanted people to know that I was deep. Amen. I said, now God, they don't know how deep I am yet, but I know you and I know. So why don't you just dismiss the ministry of all the spiritual gifts so that you know, I can show everybody how deep I am. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and, and God didn't extract nary a one to me, but the ones that the Holy Ghost wanted to give to me. Um, but, but he says, especially that you may prophesy. He said, especially that you may prophesy. Now, this is powerful. Now, let me go back to pursue. This is a powerful word. Before we go into the rest of the passage, I want to really look at what's going on here. Y'all still tracking with me today? And so, and so this word is used a lot in Pauline literature and in Peter, it's interesting. Um, you don't have to turn there. Romans 9.30, do not, pursue, says, pursue, do not pursue righteousness that you can attain, but the righteousness that comes by faith. In, in, in 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. Um, it also can be translated not only pursue, but seek. <laughs> Over in Romans 12.13, it says, the saints 
and, 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 and seek to show hospitality. Romans 14, 19, pursue what makes for peace and mutuality for upbuilding. It's interesting. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, strive for peace. 1 Peter chapter 3, 11 says, seek peace and pursue it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What does all of those verses have in common with the use of this word pursue or seek? Engaging other believers. It's a powerful idea that we see here that God is pushing us in this beautiful direction where he wants us to go in earnestly desiring to utilize our spiritual gifts. I'm going to come back to this idea of prophecy in a minute, but I want us to go down and, and begin to look at some other things. He says, for one who seeks, one who speaks in a tongue <clears throat> speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. This is good. So basically what's happening in, in Corinth is that there are people in the church that have the gift of tongues. And what they are doing with the gift of tongues or whether somebody believes this is a prayer language, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not speaking against that, but I want us to focus on what this text is talking about. What's happening is, is their spontaneous public communication all at the same time. So can you imagine being in a gathering and like 50 people in Epiphany Fellowship just start speaking in unknown languages? Now, I know some of y'all are going to probably walk out. Um, some of y'all are going to be scared. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and, and everything. And, and what was happening in the church is people had these gifts or maybe not, uh, and they were communicating this publicly because they viewed tongues as the most powerful gift, probably because many times in the book of Acts, it's connected to the Holy Spirit the most when people gather. And so what happened is, is because of that idea of that, they wanted to be evidence of being hyper-spiritual. So in other words, they wanted to be seen as being spiritual, but not being functionally spiritual. In, in, in other words, what can I do to give the aroma of spiritual maturity without actually dealing with how messy I am. You, you got to understand, Corinth was a messy church. If you read chapter 6, it was all types of messy people in the church. But what you had was these messy people who God loved enough and gave them gifts and their messiness. God is so loving that he'll give his people a gift and they can be spiritually immature and they can use it, yet be, but their gift doesn't mature them if they're using it for them. Okay, and so, and, so, and so what happens here is that, is that Paul says, I, I, I don't, I, he says, he says, you're uttering mystery, so it's between you and God, whatever you believe about that, right? And so we're saying, well, when a person <coughs> communicates in tongues or a language, whether known or unknown, without interpretation, there is spirit edification, not community edification, Okay, in some way that I don't understand, God builds people up in that area, right? But check it out in verse 3. He says, on the one hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building up and encouragement and consolation. So what is prophesying? We're not going to talk about prophesying today. We're going to talk about prophesying, okay? Prophecy, when authentic, Looks good for the looks for the good of people, not for the feeling of people. Okay, 
in, in, other, in other words, prophecy is not scared. Just like that old song from the dudes from Atlanta, prophecy ain't never scared, all right? So look at what he says next. Prophecy, prophecy is to make a representative declaration of the mind, will, or knowledge of God as his agency under his influence or being indwelled by him. What the gift of prophecy does is it does two things. It foretells, somebody say foretells, and it foretells. They're, they're two different types. And so what you have is prophecy that tells the future about something that either impacts the whole of the body or the individual's life. And so that means that somebody in the church with the gift of prophecy or sometimes, and I don't have time to get into it, have a momentary gift of prophecy, um, can actually see something by God's spirit in your life and communicate it to you, okay? And most of the time, it doesn't feel good. See, I'm, I'm interested. Like, I want you, when you get a chance, just go on YouTube. I just want you to pull up prophets in the Christian church. And I want you to click about 10 of them, okay? And I want you to tell me, out of 10, how many of them tell something to somebody that helps them to grow? Now, what I mean by that is somebody prophesying, uh, you know, if somebody always prophesying, the Lord's about to bring you into a new season, and God is about to change everything. Wow. That can go for anybody. Like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Like, like Paul, Paul got prophesied over. When he was on his way to Jerusalem, Agabus said, yo, give me your belt. Can you imagine somebody snatching? You know they're a prophet if they can take your belt off you. <laughs> he walks up to Paul, snatches his belt off. I'm like, dang, you going to spank me? What is, you going to beat me? What's about to happen? You, you know? And Agabus ties himself up with Paul's belt. And he says, the man of whom belt belongs, when he goes to Jerusalem, many sufferings wait for him. Now, where are them prophets at? <laughs> see, that, that's the time. See, that's the, see, see, we don't want to hear the real prophet prophecy. We want to hear the prophecy, there's a Lexus in your future. Amen. There is a, there is a, there is a mega, mega, you know, you're about to get granite counters in Jesus' name. Like, the, come on, bro. Like, why is that going to even edify me? Matter of fact, I'm the last person to need that messed up as I am. I don't need all that stuff, right? They're $100 million in your future. Look, you know, I remember one time my friend was at this service, and, and the dude said, I'm about to prophesy over the whole congregation. Amen. I want you to take up your money, and I want you to walk around the church, and I want you to say, I'm a multi, I'm a multi, I'm a multi, 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 multi billionaire, billionaire. I'm a multi. Everybody was going like this in the aisles and carrying on. And then, you know, you know, me and my boy, we're going to be yoked up looking like this. You know, he said, the devil is a liar. He ain't, he's a liar. Everybody can. I'm like, the, you're a liar. How about that? Right? <laughs> so prophecy tells hard things. But it does encourage because look at what it does. It says prophecy does three things. It builds up. It gives encouragement. And it gives consolation. <laughs> it gives consolation. That means it builds you up. It helps you to grow. Now, build up is a construction term. It's a term of, that was used in Greek culture about what they would use for constructing something from a good foundation, good cornerstone, to make sure the structure of what's being built is constructed properly. So when you're edifying the body, when you're here to build up the body, you're here to make sure that everything's built right. The pastors aren't the only ones who build. On, 
Actually, to be honest, pastoral leadership doesn't build. We don't. We equip to be built. We're God's general contractors that make sure that the building happens properly. The body's role is to get in their place where God wants them to be so that the building of the church happens properly. Let me just say this to you. If you're not functioning in serving the church, you're destroying it. How are you? Because every one of us have a gift that God's given us. And if, listen, can you imagine, can you imagine going, like, like when Temple was building at a quarter of a billion dollar joint on Broad? Can you imagine, it's like, let's say it's 100 workers. Let's say only 10% of the workers were working. Like only 10% of them, everybody eating lunch, whistling at girls and carrying on. Yo! And then 10% of the dudes like, what are you doing? Do you know we on schedule? We got a lot to do. Do you know how much we got to get done to get this thing built? <coughs> do you want to check? Like, in, in other words, that's what the church is like, though. The church has a bunch of projects that God wants it to do. But only 10% of the people actually are on the construction project. And so there's some stuff that God wants to get done in the church, but it's taking too long because everybody's not on the scaffold. Everybody's not on the scaffold. But then the people that's not on the scaffold are complaining about the 10% how they building. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. You know, you look, look, see, I don't even like the way, how, how you going to make the counter look like that? Man, when we bring furniture, hold on, who said you was even going to be here? Right? But the church is like this. It's filled with 90% complainers, 10% workers. And let me just tell you something. I ain't got no patience for complainers without their hand to the plow. If you want anything fixed and you come to me about it, I'm going to be like, okay, so what are you doing now functionally to build up the areas that you're complaining about? If you're not, man, I don't even want to hear you. Y'all quiet on that part. And so everybody, this help me today, God. Everybody expects the church to be without doing. And so when I look at this text, the focus of it is build up. You, I mean, <laughs> the word build up comes up so many times in this passage, <laughs> even, when it's, even though it's using prophecy as the example, <laughs> but it's, build, it's talking about building up most of the time. He says, for the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't want you to focus on prophecy at this point. He, he, he's using reflexive terminology. He says, the one who, who, the one who speaks in a tongue, of course, without an interpretation, which we'll see later, builds up themselves. <laughs> That's against what God wants to happen in the church. Is there, in other words, the, he says, some of the people in the body focus on self-build-up too much. But then he says, but the one who prophesies builds up everybody. The church. In other words, so the principle here is, are you here to be self-built up or to build up? Now, should you expect edification? Yes. However, most of the time, 
The people who have the best experience with the church and see things from a great standpoint are the ones who are functioning and serving. And when they get in the mix with people, they see what the church is really like. They have a, more, a lot more empathy for what's not in existence yet because they're serving and know what the church is like. But if you sit on your hands the whole time and spectate when, only, when you only come to a Sunday morning gathering, what will begin to happen is, is you'll have an idea of the church but not the real church that exists because you don't relate to actual people. And so what happens is, is when you self-build up, and this is important, when you self-build up, um, you're always going to be frustrated. But when you build up, it is incredible to see what God does in the lives of others because as you build up, you get so many opportunities to be built up. And then community develops and it gets so strengthened. That's why the word of God is so powerful. Look at verse 5. He says, now I want, he said, I wish everybody spoke in tongues, to be honest. He said, I want everybody speaking tongues. But he said, but even more that you prophesy. What's the principle? He said, I wish that everyone, the principle is, had the gift of tongues or the idea of a prayer language, whatever you want to call it, that has self-build up. He said, I want that for everybody. He said, but even more, I wish that all of you prophesied. What's the principle he's talking about? He said, I wish that everybody was on build-up ministry. Because what happens? If everybody's building everybody up, you don't have to build yourself up. <laughs> that's the, and, and, and that's the beauty of the gospel. Receiving comes through sacrifice, not, to, not, through, not through just wanting. Right? This is beautiful. What he says here, he says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. We'll talk about that next week. But 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 I love this because he's helping us to know build up, build up. You, are you seeing this term just all the way through the passage? This idea of construction. He says, now, brothers, he says, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation, knowledge or prophecy or teaching? <laughs> and so revelation points to something that was unclear being made clear knowledge points to a biblical uh forth that makes something that god's word already says more clearly prophecy of course is unveiling a futuristic idea and teaching is deepening your understanding of biblical doctrines so that so 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 so, so he said i need to come with all of those things in hand he says even he says if even lifeless instruments such as the flute that's interesting. He says lifeless. He's inferring something about us. He says, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes. How will anyone know how it is played? In other words, building up has to be clear, not unclear. Right? And that means even we as leaders and those who lead ministries have to create clear pathways so people can know how they can edify the church. So an exhortation to leaders is if you're not clear and what you want people to do, you're going to bottleneck where God called you to lead. Because if people aren't clear on what to do, you're going to get frustrated because people aren't serving. But it's maybe not that people don't want to serve. It may be that you're not clear on what you want them to do. Okay? We're real quiet right now. It says, verse 9, he says, so with yourselves, listen, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, <laughs> how will anyone know what is said? He says, for you will be speaking into the air. So intelligible, unclear expectations and unclear, um, in, in this particular case, someone speaking in tongues and people don't know what the heck you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, that's why here, if you speak in tongues, we cool with that. But I'm going to shut the shirt. Let me tell you something. Somebody starts speaking in tongues publicly. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop the gathering. Y'all quiet. Stop everything. If it's music playing, somebody, da, 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 all up in the air. I'm be like, okay, da, da, da. We're going to see in a minute. I'm going to go up to this microphone. I'm going to say, everybody stop. I'm going to say, let's pray for interpretation. Then we're going to pray. We're going to go in like we're praying for a baby dedication or a church to be planted for God to speak to us. We're going to pray for about 15 minutes, knock all the services off, and just pray. We're going to go for God, give us, if you're speaking to us, God, in the name of, and we're going to pray. Y'all got, y'all real quiet right now. (laughs) And then we're going to open it up and say, does anybody have an interpretation? And if they're crickets, you will get rebuked. Unless someone's scared to interpret or something else is going on, but that means that if you know that it's the regular tongue that you usually speak in at home and you're doing it in the gathering, you're probably not going to get an interpretation. So you'll never hear us say, everybody praying tongues. Like, where is that in the Bible? Y'all quiet on me. It's okay. I mean, that's nowhere in the scriptures, and that's not serving. I can remember being just confused. Like, people around me just speaking in tongues, and I'm like, what, what is going Like, they're, how are you praying for healing? Like, they're asking to pray for healing of a person, but everybody's praying in tongues. So I'm confused about how we know that what you're saying in tongues is actually praying for the healing. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, a prayer should be like asking for what you're asking for. Even if it's, if it's in another language, I'm fine with that. Now, if someone is Hispanic or someone is from Africa or Caribbean and you stop, I'm cool with you communicating, you know, in your situation, right? But that's different than the Holy Spirit utterance that's being given. Are y'all clear with me? <laughs> so, there doubtless are many languages in the world and none without meaning. It says, but if... I do not know the meaning of a language. I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, he says, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's powerful. He says, this is what you strive for, is you strive, your responsibility as a believer and I, 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 is, 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 is that you would push and you would strive that the church be built up. There's nowhere in the Bible that says strive to be built up yourself by the church. It assumes selfishness. The gospel principle is self-sacrifice. That's the God. Christ came to, listen, give his life And he got resurrected as a reward of his sacrifice. He got transferred. And so what we want to do as a church, we want people, we want people to come. We want to see every gathering packed out. We want to plant church. We want to do that. But if we're going to plant churches, know what we're going to need? We're going to need an ironclad core here. If we're going to do mission, we need an ironclad core. Why am I saying that? Because as people transition from Epiphany, which I know there will be people that positively transition from the church to help out with church plants, we have to have a core of people that feel long-term called here as build-up people so that as we plant churches, there's not a structural and build-up edification loss within the sending church. And so that means you can't just look at 
Where do I get counseling? What's done for my children? Is God got a word for is the worship this? That's fine. But I want you to begin. I want, you, I want to challenge us to shift your thinking. I want you to want the church healthy, but I want you to want the church healthy based on being on deck, helping, not just a, a, a complainer on the sidelines. Because that, that's going to be a powerful thing. Can you imagine if 100% of the attenders who've been attending for years here joined? And 100% of those who are part of the covenant community say, I am going to help, help me to understand how to get active in serving the body. Do you know what would happen if that happened? What if 100% of us loved? Like made sure when someone stood up during visitors welcome. And afterwards, we remembered that that person stood up. And we just go over to them and hug them. And let them know, man, we appreciate you coming. Where do you go to, where do you gather with the saints? If you don't have a place to go, there's a place to go. But if not here, there's other healthy churches around. But great to meet you. Where you from? Man, we're about to go out and hang out. What are you doing? We want what if, to, what if it was that type of love? What if when somebody got sick, you initiated, you know, and said, what do you need? Like, there's single people in this city that have committed themselves to being in Philly for a vast amount of reasons and have no family here. Why don't you find out who they are? And when they, if they got sick, who's in their life that can be family for them in a place where they have no family? Just some practical, just practical things, man. You know what I'm saying? Just a if somebody doesn't have a job, oh man, let me give you the job board from my job. Let me email me your resume. And what do you do? Oh, I know so and so. They're in university working. They're looking for professors, or they're looking for um um um, um people at UP. I mean, that's love. <laughs> that's that's that's, that's a, we're looking for teachers here, or we're looking for we're looking for custodian something. But but there's a there's a sense in which I'm not here for myself. And to build one another up and to serve in such a powerful, powerful way. And when you, when you know the matrix of the outworkings of everything, it makes you more gracious. It makes you more loving. And it, and it, and it creates a broader prayer life for you. I'm going to close on this. <laughs> Many of our prayer lives are bottlenecked. Because we're self-edifiers, all of our prayers have to do with what we want God to do in our lives. But when you employ yourself in serving others and you hear what other people are going through and your heart actually breaks for them, your edification can be intercession. See, serving others broadens your heart cavity. And when it broadens your heart cavity, you're graced with the power and ability to say, oh, I'm thinking about so-and-so said they got a back issue. Oh, I wrote that down during the gathering when Pastor E said that that person was sick. I, I want to find out their address. I want to just send them, some, like, love. Pursue love, like pursuing it, not wanting to say, nobody love me. No, you pursue love. And when you build a relationship with a person that you love, it creates a connection. And what if you did that with five people that you just love that don't know you? You create a connection with that person, and then all of a sudden you got community with five new people. And then when you get in something, those five people now attach to you and minister to you and bring the other five people that they were ministering to to you. Now you got 25 people in community with you based on one act of love that you did for five people that built the church up. Yeah. 
Look at that. So again, I'm just praying. I'm just praying that we become a pursuers of others. Pursuit is the principle of the gospel. God pursued us when we were not pursuing him. That's the gospel. You don't pursue when you're pursued. That's not the gospel. If you pursue me, I'll pursue you. No, the gospel says pursue others, others, others. And man, and you reap what you sow. If you sow a lack of relationship and isolation, that's what you'll get. If you sow love, you receive it. Anyway, I got to go. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you've called us to be built up and to build up others. <laughs> what a powerful thing for the body that we would find ourselves strengthening one another, um, being gracious even to one another. That's what I love about you, Lord. You, you, you have a, you, 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 you are, you, you're, you're a pursuer of people. You, you said no one seeks after God. <laughs> and that, that, that automatically, since you know that nobody seeks, nobody seeks after you, you pursue them. You pursue them. And so, God, I'm thanking you for your pursuit of us and your love of us. That in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And maybe there's a person here that doesn't know that God came from heaven to earth to pursue you so that you can go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that the wrath of God was poured out on him. He used his spiritual gifts to serve us. To the point where he used the spiritual gift of love to give his life on the cross. To die for your sins and minds, mine so that we can go from spiritual death to spiritual life through his sacrificial death. Because Christ's death, Christ's death is what paid for our ability to be in full-fledged relationship with God through himself. And so, God, maybe there's someone here that doesn't recognize that you died on the cross and was raised up for the grave for them to bring them into a relationship with you so that they wouldn't have to pay for their sins eternally separated from God. <laughs> so, Father, if that person's here today, save them. Anybody? that says, I, 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 need to, I want to put my confidence in Jesus Christ as Savior today. Slip your hand in the air. We would be honored, honored, beyond measure to talk to you about what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life by faith in Christ alone. You may say, man, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, and yeah, that, that, that's, that's true. But, 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 a, but being spiritual without Christ is like having a phone without a service provider. Having a phone without a service provider, you still have to have some Wi-Fi connectivity. You still got to have something to do something with. But, 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 it, but, but in, other words, in other words, you're like a lonely cell phone that has all of this stuff on it but no connection. And God, through Christ, the cross is the ultimate tower. It's the tower that gives reception to heaven once again through Christ's sacrificial death as the ultimate signal to connect us back to God. So if you're here today and you're saying, I, I want my signal reconnected back to God, I want to be given a signal once again 
Slip your hand in the air so that your signal with heaven can be restored again. You can say, yes, I pray, but if you don't know Christ, God doesn't hear you. You can say, yes, I go to church, yeah, but it doesn't count as anything. You can't be edified because you don't have a new spirit. I see that hand. Thank you for putting that hand up. Anybody else that says, man, I, I, want, I, I want God to restore my signal connectivity to him all over again so that I can go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And God, we bless you and thank you for that, for giving us receptivity once again. Father, we thank you for this one that came today. We're honored and thankful that, Lord God, you would save someone and help us to clarify things and make the gospel so clear so that that person's life can be transformed from the inside out. We honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.